settled here. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Doing good? Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, well, real quickly, uh, if you don't know me, name's L.B. Vargas. Um, I work with the sophomore guys, uh, second year with them. Um, gave them a little shout out. Um, <clears throat> but been, been, been here at, at uh, Overflow for about four years now. It's been a blessing, uh, you know, doing ministry with Dave, everybody else here. And, uh, you know, every once, every once in a while, uh, Dave will, will give me an opportunity um, to share with you guys um, just what God's put in on my heart um, for, for whatever lesson, scripture that we're doing that Sunday. And so I, I happen to, again to get, I think, the longest set of, of uh, a passage um, in First Peter. That's what we've been on uh, in the past couple of weeks. And again, just going to share with you guys uh, just kind of what God has put in my heart and, and hopefully do my best to kind of um, open up these next set of seven or eight of you know, Bible verses and, and, and give you guys what Peter is trying to tell his audience um, back then because it's relevant so much um, for us here right now. So if you bow your heads real quick, I'll open some prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for um, just the wisdom, the instructions that you've given us um, in the Bible, in God's word. Um, and I just pray, Father God, that we can all have open hearts here this morning. Those of us who are Christians, those of us who are not, those of us who are just really struggling and battling unbelief, Father, um, you know, um, whatever gets preached this morning, Father God, um, I just pray that it will resonate with us wherever we are in our walk. And, um, <clears throat> Father God, just having us focus and setting our hope fully on you and showing us what that means, what that looks like, and how we are able to carry that out, Father God. And so um, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the leadership here. Um, we love you, Lord. We thank you and pray all these things um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so, verses that I have this morning. 1 Peter 1, uh, 13 through 21. Again, it's a lot, it's a, it's a lot but I'm going to try my best to, again, op- unpackage this for you guys. And uh, hopefully you guys, um, again, um, can receive the message that Peter was trying to communicate with his audience um, when he was writing this. And so, first of all, let's go ahead and read the scripture um, out loud. Therefore, preparing your minds for action um, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of, of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, it was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Lastly, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. 
like I said, it's a, it's a lot, a lot of content. We'll, we'll go through it. I'll go through it as briefly as I can, but at the same time, just just know that um, you know there's so much more that can be said just from these set of verses that I won't be able to fully cover um, because there's so much. Um, but the first thing I think that we should just kind of backtrack on a little bit is Dave and Megan. They they preached on um, the first couple of verses in First Peter. And something that, that, that they mentioned, that Dave mentioned, I believe, or, or Megan, um, was um, something that the readers experience. Peter is writing to these new believers. He, say, he says that they experience a new birth back in verses uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. He says they experience a new birth, new birth, a living hope. So these are people who just became Christians he also says that um, they will inherit inherit a glorious future, okay, when Jesus is coming back. Um, and then they, he also talks about the tested genuineness of their faith. And so he talks about how genuine their faith is going through various trials. And this is something that Peter mentions in the very beginning. And I say that, that's really important because here we see in verse, in verse 13, uh, if you go back a slide, it mentions, um, set your hope fully. And we see there's multiple commands here in verse 13. For, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's multiple commands there, but the main one that I'm seeing is set your hope fully on. But he, Peter is also mentioning a therefore. Okay? He's saying a therefore. Anytime you guys see a therefore in Scripture, always backtrack to saying the reason why the, the writer is saying that. And in this reason, Peter is telling them, look, you have been born again. Um, you will be able to inherit this. Um, because you're a, a believer, um, your faith will be tested, and it will be proven genuine. It will be proven that it's real after various trials of, of different kind. But he's saying, therefore, because of that, because of that, you know, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. We'll get to that here in a couple, couple minutes. But I want to focus on set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? This hope that he's talking about. Um, <clears throat> this hope that he's talking about. If we look back in the New Testament, there's multiple, mo- multiple meanings of this word hope. Okay? It's not, it's not this hope that some, some of us have, you know, when we're taking a test and we say, you know, well, I hope I'm going to make a grade on this. Okay? Or it's this optimism that I have with, my, with the Dallas Cowboys when I, tell, when I say, I hope they win today because they've been having a really, really slow start to the season. Last year it wasn't like that. But this year, that's, that's what it's feeling like. And I also like Baylor, and so we're 0-6. So there's no – now every week with Baylor, it's, it's me having that optimism of I hope they win, I hope this or that. So, But anyways, that's not the kind of hope that Peter is talking about here. That's not the kind of hope that he wants us to have when it comes to our faith as believers. Right, but a lot of us, in reality, that's the kind of hope that we have. We have this hope that is, um, you know, it's it's not grounded in anything. We have this hope that we hope God will pull through for whatever it is. Okay, and instead of having that thinking, you know, our thinking isn't this hope that God will do um, what is best for us. That God is in control. Um, that whatever happens, that He's in control and He knows um, what what He's doing. Right, and Peter is trying to remind them that this is the hope that I want you guys to set your your, your mind on fully, you know, not anything else that's going on in this world. And so, 
um, I think it would be helpful if we looked at different, other different New Testament passages that kind of speak on this hope that it's talking about. Um, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, talks about a, a different kind of hope. Paul's talking about they have um, been um, justified by God. They have peace, you know, through Jesus. And he's, he says here, through him we, off, we have also obtained access by faith. Into this grace in which we stand, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. There's that word again, hope. And a hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love is important to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Uh, another verse is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Okay? So God's work in the believer's life gives hope. And God's plan to have the Lord Jesus return is also a source of hope that we get to experience. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ himself and this hope that Jesus Christ is coming back one day um, um, in the second coming. And then one last verse that I have is in uh, Titus chapter 2, and he's talking about a blessed hope. Um, But notice the way that that he writes this one. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Again, the same hope that Peter is talking about, he wants us to remember, you know, set your hope fully on, gaze upon this, look to this, because this hope, this hope is going to motivate us to live holy lives. This hope is going to motivate us to have a sober mind. This hope is going to motivate us to be alert in our surroundings as believers. You know, Paul, a lot of times in Scripture, you know, Peter, Paul, whoever, whoever the writer is, they will remind you know, their audience of what is to come, of who Jesus Christ is, of what the gospel is, right? And if, if these readers need to be reminded of that, if his audience need to be reminded of that constantly, then so do we. We need to remember that there's a hope that we have now that we put in our trust in as Jesus Christ. There's also a hope that is coming. There's this blessed hope that is coming. And in Titus, it's saying that the, that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all the people, but it's also training us to say no to our to our ungodliness, to our worldly passions, okay? It's Paul, I mean, Peter wants this coming hope to remind them to live holy lives, okay? That's the main concern of these next seven verses is Peter wants them to live like Christ-like followers. If you guys were here two weeks ago, last week, you know, the speaker talked, really, really good on following Christ. And I really like the analogy that he used, you know, he, he compared it a little bit. He used multiple analogies, but there's one of them where he used, like, you know, comparing to social media. <clears throat> Everybody in here has social media, right? You know, when you follow somebody, it doesn't require no change at all, at least in, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, or whatever. Hopefully it doesn't. Um, but for a lot of us, that, that's the same way that happens when we, we say we follow Christ, 
all right? Or a lot of us, those of us who do say we're Christians and we say we're Christ followers, our lives look exactly how it looked like when we follow somebody on social media. And what the speaker was, was, was getting at was there has to be some kind, there has to be change in your life that follows through if you're are a Christ follower, if you're claiming to follow Christ, okay? And Peter's reminding them that, hey, that same thing has to happen with you guys. And it's very, very necessary for you guys to be sober-minded, for you to be fully alert in your surroundings, which is um, the next command that, that we're going to talk about here. You know, how, is, how do we learn to set our hope on the grace of God? And one of the, one of the again, the other command that he gives is of minds that are alert and fully sober, right? Um, and this is really important to keep in mind. Um, something that I mentioned to, to the guys last week um, was the Christian life is far from being it on cruise control, right? And, and those of you who, who, who know exactly what I mean know that you just can't breeze through, you know, your everyday life, saying you're a Christ follower but not living it out. You're not sharing your faith with somebody, um, not, you know, getting rid of the sin in your life, not fighting the battle of unbelief, not fighting your sin and things like that. It's important. And if we do live our lives in this cruise control mindset, then we're, we're, we're going to be ineffective Christians, we're going to be Christians who bear no fruit at all, okay? So ask yourself that, you know, is my, do I have a mind that is fully alert and fully sober? Um, you may be thinking, well, what exactly does that mean? Just to give you some context, um, here in, in Peter's time, his, the, the pagan life was full of sin, lust, drunkenness, um, idolatry. It says that in verse four through, um, verses 4, um, chapter 4, verses, verse 3. And so he was, he was reminding them, hey, like, stay focused. Like, you are a Christ follower. Your identity is in Christ. Now, stay focused. Anytime we hear the word sober, um, we, we think it has to do with alcohol, right? Um, you know, when you're, when you're drunk, that, hopefully no one here knows that, right? But when you're drunk, it clouds, you know, your vision. You, you can't see. clouds your judgment. provokes us to do things we normally don't do, right? Um, <clears throat> And in order for one to act correctly, one must think correctly. And obviously, if you're, if you're not sober, um, then you're not necessarily doing that. And so, but here Peter is talking about being spiritually alert, okay? And instead of yielding to the temptations of the world, temptations that you guys might have at school, through social media, um, anything that comes your way, he is saying, you know, be sober, be fully alert of what's going on around you. It's completely necessary, I think a lot of us, we think of in terms of, well, LB, I don't, you know, I don't struggle with these big sins. You know, I'm not going out getting drunk, you know, uh, doing this or that. I think a lot of us think in terms of, well, if I'm just going to church two times a week, and if I am just doing this or that, then I'm good. I'm good with God, right? And that's not necessarily the case. I think, I think a lot of us in the Bible Belt um, can be stuck in this stagnant phase of of, of in our faith, of not really living it out, not really growing, and we're content and staying just by going to church twice a week. You know, when impact grows around, you may do that, but after that, you know, your faith is is dead. It's not doing anything. Okay, is your mind sober? Is your mind um, fully alert at just at your surroundings, what you're engaging in, you know, what you're talking about? Um, I like to think of it as terms, as I was just preparing this, I like to think of it as terms like, man, like, in my life, 
you know, how am I witnessing to other, belie- other people around me? And that's somewhere in my life that I fell um, to, to live that part out. Because there are oftentimes in my life where I catch myself and I'm like, man, like, that could have been an opportunity for me to talk to that person about my faith. You know, that could have been an opportunity for me to share with them where I go to church at and things like that. So even, even when it comes to just simple everything, every, everyday things in your life, you know, are we alert? Are we um, awake um, in, in that area of our life? Um, and again, Paul is, I mean, not Paul, but Peter, I mean, he, he part of setting their hope fully is they got to be thinking correctly. And if you're thinking correctly, then you're able to set your hope fully on the grace of God that, that is coming. Um, you know, I have here in First Peter um, the, the verb um, sobriety occurs several other times in the New Testament. It occurs later in First Peter where it's talking about be sober-minded. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. Um, it also talks about First Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, um, putting on, put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation um, as a helmet. So how does that look like for you? Are you alert? Are you fully awake? Is your mind um, connected to your faith as far as, you know, where you're living it out, how you're living it out? I think for each of us, it looks differently in our lives. And in, Paul, in Peter's time, his audience here, um, he is aware of just what's going on around him in their culture and things like that. And, he, and part of living as holy Christians, part of living a holy life, that's what he's commanding them here to do, essentially. But he wants to make sure that their minds are in the right place. He wants to make sure their minds are in the right place. Um, go ahead and to the next slide. <clears throat> Verses of 14, 18, and 19, Peter is, is reminding them of their prior sinful living. Uh, first glance at that, you're probably wondering, well, why is he doing that? Like, why is he reminding of, of the way they used to live? I think mean, it's important. Let's, let's read it real quick. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, fathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Um, again, Paul's talking past tense here. He, he is saying, um, he was, he's reminding them of what they used to live like. Okay? If those of you who are believers in here, okay, like it or not, that we, we have a past that we do not want to go back to. Okay? Notice in here he says, the passions of your former ignorance. Former ignorance. We've all been ignorant of something. Those of us in here who are Christians, there's a point at one time we're all ignorant of the gospel. We're all ignorant of, of the way we should be living. And, and Paul is saying here, do not go back. Do not conform back to your old ways. Do not conform back to your own ignorance um, that caused you to not see the light of the gospel. Um, notice that he says, as obedient children, okay? So he's reminding them that their identity, who they are, um, is in Christ. He's reminding them, too, that, um, you know, it's important for them to be obedient. It's important for them to be humble in order for them to um, not live the way they used to. 
the next, next verse is knowing, go back a slide. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. And again, he's going back, he's reminding them, excuse me, <coughs> he's, he's encouraging his readers to submit to the Father as obedient children, but he's also reminding them not to mimic the ways of their, their bio, biological ancestors. And in this case, Peter's not really fleshing out what he exactly means, but we could probably, mean, for you could probably say it, it means Adam. We could probably say it means the ancestor of Adam uh, falling into sin and things like that. He's, he's saying, you know, hey, look, now you are in a family. Now you are, I'm, now I'm your father. Do not mimic the ways of your forefathers, right? Um, then at, at the end, he mentions the uh, blood of Christ, compares it to a lamb, um, which is interesting because why would he do that? Those of you who are not familiar with Old Testament, he brings that up just to mention the fact that back in the Old Testament times, laws, sacrifices were huge. Like if, if you sinned back then to get your sins forgiven, you had to sacrifice an animal. Like imagine that. Like, thank God we don't have to do that today. Thank God we don't got to sacrifice a bull or a lamb. But that, essentially, that's what they had to do back then. They had a lot of rituals, um, you know, a Passover, things like that. Um, but they occurred many, many times for a variety of reasons, sacrifices back then, right? Um, but perhaps the most notable one was the, was the Day of Atonement. Uh, Leviticus 6 explains this ritual in detail. But basically, in a nutshell, it was the annual event when the high priest of Israel offered a sacrifice for the sins of the nations. Okay, so just again, think back to a sacrifice. They had to constantly do to get their sins forgiven. It's crazy, right? Um, and Peter is saying here that the blood of Christ also functioned as the ultimate sacrifice. And again, some of you are probably thinking, well, we know this. This is nothing new, but it's important to be reminded of these things. It's important to be reminded that our sins are forgiven, it's important to be reminded that there is a sacrifice that took place once and for all. And we no longer have to do that. We no longer have to continually make sacrifices. Um, The death of Jesus is to be seen as a sacrifice which accomplishes, in reality, what the old sacrifices pointed to but could not do. The old sacrifices were not enough, guys. We're not enough. The ultimate sacrifice was Jesus Christ himself. Um, and thank God for that too. Thank God that we don't have to resort back to the Old Testament law. We don't have to constantly sacrifice animals to have our sins forgiven. Um, the reader of Hebrews echoes this point well. So Christ sacrificed once to take away the sins of, the, of many. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him, to those who are hoping in him. He will bring um, salvation. And again, the writer of Hebrews echoes that point really well. Um, So not only did the Old Testament ritual sacrifices show um, that they needed to sacrifice animals, but also showed how serious sin was. Its consequences always involved death. Always involved death. These sacrifices were designed to help God's people appreciate his holiness and were a constant reminder of how serious sin is. Its consequences always, always involve um, death. Um, the next verse is, um, talks about God's holiness. 
Let's read it real quick. Um, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Um, and Peter urges those who call themselves children of God to be holy in all your conduct. Um, I think I feel like the, the holiness of God or the word holy in the church is misunderstood. Um, when we use that word holy to unbelievers or to outside of the church, you know, it sounds, it could be very turnoffish. Um, unbelievers don't like it, you know, holier than thou, stuff like that. So I feel like just the idea of the word holy, not just inside the church, but even outside the church is really, really misunderstood. Okay. And of course, as believers, if we're going to have this hope, if we're going to have our faith in God the Father, if we're going to be believers, born again Christians, we, we got to understand what holiness is when it comes to holiness in our lives. We got to under, also understand what it means when God says, be holy, um, because I am holy, right? Um, and so the holiness of God is, is really just an expansive topic. It's, it's I mean, you could... There's been so many sermons done, books on it. So I just, I want to just scratch the surface here on the holiness of God. So I'm not going to go in, in too big of detail. Um, but for the most part, when we think of the holiness of God, um, I like to think of it as God's devotion is to God. God has no standard. Okay? God has no standard. His devotion is to himself. God does not possess holiness. He is holy. God acts in ways consistent with his character. His deeds are holy because he is holy. Anything that God does, anything, the way God acts is holy, is right. Okay? Um, God cannot be holy in the same way God cannot be loved. It's part of God's nature. Holiness is part of God's nature. It's part of who he is. Complete opposite on our part. Okay? God is so holy um, that because we have sinned against him, we cannot keep the Ten Commandments. Jesus had to come down and save us. And because of our sin, even as believers, God's holiness requires that our sin to be paid for. Okay? So we, have, we, we, have, we cannot reach a standard that God has for us. All right? God's holiness. Um, we are not holy. Our nature is in holiness, obviously. Okay, we sin. In other words, in, in order for us to have a slight chance of being holy or even wanting to get anywhere to that point, we need a new nature. Okay, what do I mean by new nature? Again, like I talked about in the beginning, guys, uh, a new birth, a new nature. Once you become a Christian, God has given you a new nature. You're no longer controlled or should be controlled by your own sinful desires. Okay, that new nature that God has given us um, is a nature of wanting to obey God, of wanting to reject sin, of wanting to become more like Jesus, okay? Um, just as God's holiness is more than some of his actions, holiness for human beings does not merely consist of a list of do's and don'ts. And I think that's another thing, too, that when it comes to holiness, we get this wrong wrong idea of the more that I separate myself away from the world, and the more holy I am, okay? Um, and I'll give you guys some examples of that. Um, on a practical level, holiness means conforming to the ways of God rather than the ways of the culture. Um, and I kind of separate it into two dimensions, I guess you can say. Um, 
<clears throat> I think that the commitment to holiness in one's heart and mind is a qualitative dimension of holiness, okay? While the physical act of separation, or we can say rejection of certain activities, may be considered a quantitative dimension of a holiness. What do I mean by that? Um, maybe some of you have probably never heard it at all, speaking those terms. Um, when I was growing up, I got saved at a small Baptist church in Waco back in 2007, and um, at that church, I remember one, me and my friend, we wanted to go see, uh, I forgot what movie it was, but it wasn't a uh, Christian-based movie, right? I forgot what movie it was, wasn't even rated R, um, PG-13, but anyways, I just remember, and this was a small Baptist church, you know, they, they gave me a hard time because I went and saw that movie, and they went and said, like, hey, well, if, would Jesus would have gone to you with you and saw that movie and things like that, you know? Um, as I was there at that church, when it came to music, you know, when it came to just, you know, other stuff in our culture, other good things I believe that God has given us that we can enjoy with a clear conscience, um, you know, for them, their holiness at that church was based on how well they could distance themselves from the culture, how well they could distance themselves from the unsaved and things like that. And so that was something that I experienced growing up because eventually I kind of got into the habit of, okay, well, if someone listened to music that wasn't Christian, then I couldn't help but in my mind to look down upon them because I was spiritually superior than them because, you know, I didn't need to listen to secular music or music that wasn't Christian, you know. And so, and I think that mindset, that mindset of itself is the more that I separate from the world, the more that I separate from the culture and things like that, then the more holier I am. I don't think that that's what God is saying here. I don't think that's what Peter wants his readers to, to think, to engage in necessarily. Now, don't get me wrong. I do think it's necessary for some believers to separate themselves from, you know, um, certain music, from movies, from friends, don't get me wrong. I think the motivation behind that can be pure. I think it is necessary sometimes, right? I have some friends who, once they became Christians, you know, they had to just, they had to go and, and get rid of all of their music that wasn't Christian, okay? Um, for them, it just reminded them of their old way of living. That was completely necessary on their part. That was fine on their part. They didn't push that upon anybody else. You know, he knew at, at that time at his level, of, or at his uh, time in his walk of God, he knew that if he wanted to, um, you know, be holy, think holy, be as a mature Christian and be more like Christ, he knew that there are some things he had to separate from, okay? And I don't think everybody's the case like that. I think eventually if you're like those Christians that, that were at my church who had that, they, they had a, a pure motive behind it, but at the same time, if someone didn't think the same way as they did, and they would look, be looking down upon them. And that wasn't the right way to go about that when it comes to this mindset of holiness and, um, again, separating ourselves so much from the culture, from the unsaved, where we think we're going to be holier than them, you know. Um, but I think rather what, what God wants to see from us more than anything, more than anything is he wants to see at our heart and our mind, right? What do I mean by that? Um, the life of God's people reflects God's heart, and our actions are spring from hearts that are in sync with God's desires. Okay, even back in the Old Testament, we see that God is not impressed with flashy worship, not at least not all the time. He's not impressed um, with 
um, you know, rituals and things like that, but he wants to look beyond all that, beyond what we're doing with our actions and our heart and our mind, okay? Uh, a good passage here is uh, Amos 5, 5, chapter 5, 22, 24. <clears throat> Even though you offer me your burnt offering and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fat animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down the waters and righteousness like the ever-flowing streams. The next verse after that one I have uh, in Micah, another real popular one when it comes to um, just uh, living out our faith. Um, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require you to do justice, and to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? Uh, and we can see there in those verses that God is more passionate about justice, mercy, um, and godly devotion than he is about showy worship, than he is necessarily about what we separate ourselves from. Again, not saying that's wrong, but I think doing those things can be done in a way where, again, like the same position that I was in a couple years ago, the more I separated myself away from culture, from music, um, my mindset automatically went to, I'm more holier than that person. I'm more spiritually up here with that person uh, just because of the things I separated myself from. And that was not necessarily the case. That doesn't have to necessarily be the case all the time. I think God has given us good things in culture that we can enjoy for clear conscience. He has given us um, music, you know, art and things like that that maybe some of us can enjoy uh, with a clear conscience. Some of us can't, and that's fine. Um, But some of the, the golliest people that I know fall in those two categories, okay? Some of the godly people that I know, um, they prefer to separate themselves away from certain kinds of music and movies and things like that, but they do that in a godly fashion. They do that in a way where they're not looking down on other people, on other believers. And some of those people that I know do it the correct way, and they're the, some of the most godliest people that I know. I have, a few, I have other people who do it the, on the qualitative dimension, you know, where they love to engage, you know, with the culture. Um, they love art. Um, you know, uh, they love, um, you know, building a bridge between those things for the gospel. You know, maybe on the outside, they might not look like the, the golliest people. But knowing me, knowing them, you know, person to person, they have taught me a lot about what it means to engage all that and look like that. Um, if you guys know about Lecrae, Lecrae, he's definitely one of those people who fall in that category. He falls in that category of going out, um, reaching, reaching the culture, going out, even, you know, even uh, making songs of other people who aren't Christian. And I think he has done a, a good way of, of displaying that kind of holiness um, to other believers, to, to the world, and things like that. Um, now, if you've kind of been following him along recently, a lot of believers don't agree with what he's doing. Um, but I've, I've, I've gone to a conference before. I've heard him speak on these things, and he, his mindset has definitely changed over the years, 
but he's able to do that in a way where, um, again, <clears throat> his mind, his heart are in the right place. He's fully alert of his surroundings. He's not blindly going into this making songs of other people who aren't Christians, um, but he's doing that in a way where he's glorifying God, he's sharing his faith, and he's displaying the gospel in his lives. Again, those two ways of holiness necessarily aren't for everybody. Um, we're all, we are all on our different, different levels of our walk with God. And so my, my advice, my encouragement to you guys would just to be to pray about those things, really examine what you're faith in. And again, if, you see your, if you're struggling in certain areas, then maybe it is necessary if you distance, distance yourself away from them. Okay? For some of us, that might not be the case. And, um, you know, either way, praise God and, and, and let his name be glorified in, in all that you do. Um, lastly, um, last set of verses, <clears throat> he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who brought him, who through him are believers in God and who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith are, and hope are in God. I love how this, this passage, these seven verses end with hope, with starts with hope and ends with hope, right? Um, Peter is saying, saying here that um, made manifest in the last times, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Why, why is it even necessary he is saying that? Why is it necessary for him to say foreknown? He could have just said it was, he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And why is he saying foreknown? What's the meaning behind it? I always, when I'm reading the Bible and, and I feel like people, the, re, the writers are like writing extra. That was my first thought when I said that. I was like, Peter's just writing extra. He wants to push something here that doesn't need to be pushed, right? But I think if, if you look closely at, on this, it doesn't matter how you view this foreknowledge. Um, I think it's important to know because he's saying that before the foundation of the world, the sun has always existed. Peter is stating the obvious here, okay? That's good. That's good that we serve a God who knows that the Son has always existed. It's good that we serve a God who knows what was going to happen from the beginning of time to the end of time, okay? None of this is is God's plan B, right? Um, Him foreknowing what was going to happen, you know, God didn't just say, well, my plans got screwed, dang it, I got to go with plan B. That's not what happened here. Peter is saying that he was... um, through the for, uh, found, uh, he was foreknown for the foundation of the world and was made manifest in the last times. That manifestation is referring to Jesus' incarnation where he appeared to save our sins. Jesus coming down. Again, Peter is reminding his readers of the gospel of what Jesus has come down to do. Um, and in the last part, verse 21, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And again, Peter's ending this passage with hope. He's basically saying, where will you place your hope? Is your hope set fully on the grace of God, on Jesus Christ? You know, each of us, whether we lived a tough life or not, we have inherited an empty way of life from our ancestors, from, from Adam. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a new nature. We all need a new mindset. We all need a fresh, fresh set of eyes to see the way God wants us to see things.
If, if you're a believer in this room, praise God, that's what you have. You experience this new birth that he's talking about. If not, if not, um, then by the grace of God, you're alive today, and it's never a day too late where you can't experience that, where you can't repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. As we live with minds that are sober and fully alert, guys, the Holy Spirit will help us develop new appetites that we can separate from sinful habits of the past and move toward a life of holiness. Okay? Like I, was mentioned, like I mentioned before, and I can't stress that enough, and if we're not thinking up here rightly about God, if we're not thinking up here biblically about the world around us, then at the end of the day, we're not going to be Christians who set our hope fully on the grace of God. We're not going to be Christians who hope that way like the believers in the New Testament did. We're just not. I promise you we're not. If you're, if you're somebody in here, and I think we've all been in there before. I'm not saying it's everybody. I don't know everybody. But we've been in that position before where we've just been really dry in our faith. And we haven't been praying. We haven't been reading. Our minds have been thinking completely the opposite of God. And, and Peter is, is reminding them here about the gospel. He, he reminds them here their old way of life. He commanded them to be fully sober and fully alert because he wants them to live as Christians. He wants them to live as Christ followers. He wants them to live the way God intended them to live. I can't help but think back to last week, you know, when the speaker preached on that sermon and, um, you know, he again, he mentioned that, you know, especially down here in the Bible Belt in the South, how a lot of us, it's so easy for us, a lot of us here to identify as a Christian. I remember last year or two years ago, <clears throat> two years ago or last year, I went to New York on that mission trip. And Kevin Beavers, Beavers, not Beavers, Beavers, if y'all remember him, he was one of the, like, interns over there. And I was talking to Kevin, and Kevin was like, yeah, yeah, it'll be uh, a lot of, down up here, people who say they're Christians really are Christians. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And he, I swear Kevin mentioned something along the lines of, it's not like Texas where if someone says they're a Christian, you kind of have to weigh that out, and you kind of have to really, you don't really you take that with a grain of salt sometimes when people say that down here because everybody says that, right? Kevin was telling me in New York, if someone says they're a Christian over there, most likely they are. And people actually live out their faith over there. And, and I was just like, man, that's, that's, that's crazy. Wow. Um, someone like me who grew up in Texas my whole life and uh, who's been, thankfully, by God's grace, a believer for the past 10 years, um, I've always took stuff like that for grain of salt for the people because um, that's just the norm down here in Texas, in the South. You go to church, you say you're a Christian, your faith doesn't get challenged. Um, and uh, you live, you live as, as if God didn't exist. You live as if uh, you didn't know God. Um, separation starts in our minds. As we exercise sober judgment and a respectful attitude toward God, we must remember in order to behave in a godly fashion, we must be thinking in a godly fashion. Right behavior follows right thinking. 
And because of that, we will make a conscious choice to separate from those things that would drag us down and not lift us up. And I just want to help with Peter here and communicate that message with you guys. Is As believers, as born-again Christians, um, we are called to live holy lives. We are called to, again, um, be active up here, um, be energetic, be mindful up here in the mind because that connects to our emotions when it comes to hoping in God. And I promise you, if you could do that, and if you could do that by the grace of God well, um, then um, God promises, God, you will be a fruitful, you will be a joyful Christian who knows God the Father and will not be ashamed of that. And so I'm going to pray us out real quick, and then we've got some questions on the table for you guys. Stanley, Father, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, that um, you don't leave us guessing on these things when it comes to our faith, when it comes to um, what it truly means to set our hope of, upon you, God. Here we saw in Peter that Peter was given his readers, his audience, directions. He was reminding them of things that could help supplement their faith um, and to live in as as Christ-like followers, as holy believers, Father. And uh, I just want to echo that this morning with the church here. Um, I want to echo that in my life. I want to echo that in my pastor's life. Um, Father, in this world that we live in, every day it's getting worse. Every day people seem to be against us no matter what we speak of. And, Father God, I just pray that as believers, um, we could be fully alert in our minds. We could be sober. Um, and we could learn um, how to think biblically in our minds cause, because that connects to our heart and that connects to us hoping in Jesus Christ, not only in the now, but also, too, when he comes um, when he comes to, um, to take us back, Lord. And so um, thank you, Father God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your son dying on the cross for us. I pray as we remember these things, um, they can help supplement our faith and keep our eyes gazed on you, Father God. Let us not grow weary, um, but let us be a family. Let us, let us unite as one as the church and build each other up in our faith. We love you, God. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, God.